phrases such as like toxic masculinity out there don't really help. It perpetuates the cycle of people feeling bad or feeling uh, not not you know uh, worth something in the world. So there's a lot of I like to maybe use the term uh, wounded masculine or unconscious masculine. So where have I been wounded? Where has unconscious patterns or habits played out in my life? Where um, they have affected my relationships or f- affected my work. Welcome to this week's podcast uh, with Steve and Dave. Lovely to have you here. Uh, we're delighted to have you as, as part of the Happy Pair podcast where we explore all sorts of topics and themes and curiosity about becoming a better version of yourself. Really. Uh, this is part. This week's episode is part of our series on sex and relationships. And today we explore the topic of masculinity and also psychedelics. Yeah, we're chatting with Dr. Dara Stewart, super interesting man. He hosts Man Circles. And I believe that's men's. Oh, circle. men's circles. Sorry, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, where kind of people come, men come together, and the whole idea is it's a safe space for men to open up and discuss topics as men and and express their vulnerabilities and move and beyond. heal together. It's a, it sounds like a really really wonderful thing. I've never gone to one, but I look forward to being part of them. Um, he's also he has a company where they do legal psychedelic kind of retreats as well in Holland yeah so super interesting man we discover about you know we discuss about masculinity and the various different aspects of it and the archetypes some of the issues affecting you know the challenges of being a man today and the various aspects of that it was a really really wonderful conversation Um, if you like men if you date men if you're interested in men if you've got friends that are males this is very very relevant I think it's such an important conversation for those of you that have sons or husbands or partners you know men in your life it's relevant to all of them Big shout out today, sponsor Wild. That's Wild Deodorant. Uh, if you're looking for a, a gift this year, it's practical, it's sustainable, it's compostable, and it actually works using natural products. Yeah, what's wonderful about it is it gets delivered to your door every month. It's refillable, it's all natural, it smells really nice. And what is it, Dave? It's deodorant. It's oh, Wild, okay. the deodorant stick. I use it, it's great, it's lovely, they smell really good. As I said, it comes in the post in a little pack. But it's a lovely gift because you can get it where it comes in the pack in once a month. So you subscribe to it. So it means that smelly person in your life can suddenly become smelling beautiful. Woohoo! So you get 20% off your first order when you use the code HAPPYPAIR at checkout. That's at wearewild.com. Okay, I want to kick this off with something interesting. So, um, well, something I think is interesting. So there was a friend who worked with us a good few years ago and he was a super, super lovely man. And he was... He, he used to say great oh, no. Patrick Tierney Yeah great Patrick Tierney And he used to say Oh no my old man He is an old man Like he's 80 And, and he was saying That he was sitting down With his dad one day And he was saying Like well, well, what's the biggest change In your life dad And his dad kind of sat back And kind of um, Kind of pondered for a little bit And he said I think it's the role Of the mass The man has changed In my lifetime most Like because he went from I guess that this is Kind of 10 years ago So it must have been 1930s to 90, you know, 2010 or whatever at that stage. And the role of the male over that period of time from being kind of like, you know, it's changed massively. And I think, yeah, I think that's how I'd like to start this podcast. That was a great intro. Thanks, Mel Steve. I really enjoyed that. There's no question in that. It was just really a lofty kind of point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, This actually came up, the the men's retreat we did there uh, last weekend, how... I think a lot of struggles that modern modern guys are having at the moment is around their roles and their responsibilities within relationship and within the world. Um, you know, we, we've gone from being the hunter gatherers, the providers, the protectors to moving into a space where we don't need to do that anymore. So it leaves us with a sense of, well, who am I without those 
traditional societal and cultural roles. So I think it's a it's a really big question for a lot of guys. Jeez, cool distinction there that we've gone from that sense of hunter-gatherer providing safety to suddenly, you know, by and large, we're a bit redundant in that space, even though there is that sense of earning the bread, you know, but mm-hmm. nowadays it seems to be a very, you know, both both genders or all genders. You know, it's much and more gender, gender fluidity. Yeah, and all of the course. Of stuff. And even, even there, we were, we were talking beforehand about this, and I was going to say, like, back when we were young kids, um, like I remember our role models at the time was like Hulk Hogan, you know, the wrestler. There was there was B.A. Baracus, there was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, there was the A team, there was Arnold Schwarzenegger. These were the kind of males that was like, yeah, we used to like, we were four boys growing up. So it was like, oh, back's been B.A. Baracus, Steve, you're Hulk Hogan. And Mark would be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we'd like, whoa, we'd like, you know, kind of jump all over one another. And and now I think and I kind of go wow what do like who are the men that people look for up to now like and who are they and what are the characteristics that we're looking looking for when we're looking for male role models? Oh, absolutely, and I think there what comes to mind is the kind of the the masculine archetypes that we have in Jungian psychology. Um, he talks a lot about you know the shadow and these archetypes, these kind of characters who transcend all cultures and all times. So for the, for the men, we have the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. And most people, you know, want to be the warrior. They want to be the strong man, the man that provides, the man with good boundaries. And, you know, in our culture, they're, they're the ones that really get uh, in the spotlight a lot. So, for example, we have, you know, in Ireland, Conor McGregor. He's, he's kind of this archetype of the warrior, uh, you know, the, the fighter. And a lot, of, a lot of young men would look up to him or we'd have uh, some other some other leaders uh, out there you know for me personally is like the Dalai Lama uh, Nelson Mandela these great leading leading figures who embody this kind of king archetype um, and then we don't really have so many of the lovers uh, with, with with men because especially in Ireland you know and this is a great topic I'm looking forward to exploring with you guys around sensuality and sexuality and this sort of this caring kind of loving male maybe more in, in the feminine than in the masculine and then the, the the magician so these are uh the 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 wisdom keepers the 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 elders which we we've also don't have so much in society anymore because you know there's been this pushing away of 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 the old the older generations because they're not technological savvy or they they you know they're not up 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 to date but they still have a lot of um wisdom that we're now hopefully being able to connect to again Jeez, wow. that's really interesting. So, so we've got the warrior, we've got the king. Okay, those two, it's kind of the, easy the enough to pick up. The and the lover. The, uh, but the lover, the lover's an interesting one because even to think about it, like is the lover, is a modern version of the lover, is it some kind of poet, like a male poet, like a, I, I don't know who these characters are in real life, but like your Seamus Heaney's, I think he's dead. But like those kind of poet poets that are more expressing that kind of expression of love and curiosity and vulnerability that's, and the sensitivity in the space for reflection isn't that it and that's yeah. so often uh, missing in the kind of modern day man in so many aspects absolutely and i think you know the lover is is tapped into that feminine intuition and creativity and for me you know sexuality and creativity go hand in hand when we feel our most uh, sexual and full of libido we want to create you know it's that's what it is that's what sexuality is it's 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 a the kind of create creative force that we have in life and you know sexuality literally creates other people uh, but when it's challenged channeled into the arts um that's where i think it's 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 very very powerful because it's actually then seen in the world not as an energy but as in the physical form through paintings and poetry and, and drawings and 
um, you know, that sort of self-expression. So I think the lover is very self-expression, very self-expressionate, very creative, very in, uh, intuitive um, and embodied. You know, it's it's the for me, it's the embodiment, you know, it's the embodiment of these characteristics, uh, the, the, the feeling, you know, being getting back into her body and feeling. And can you think of any kind of examples of role models or men that we would be aware of? Like, you know, they're probably people that would be known, recognized as being, you know, that most of us would know that would represent this kind of lover character. Um, well, I suppose with, with, with most, most of these, there's kind of the dark and light, you know, so um, geez, off the top of my head, uh, there's probably like Johnny Depp. He'd probably be like the dark lover, you know, the mysterious man that, you know, women want to know, but maybe he isn't the, the most, uh, you know, um, positive influence in the world, you know, um, and yeah, maybe like Brad Pitt off the top of my head, who, who, who I can think of um, as, as this kind of lover archetype, you know, these, these, these men are kind of cast in a lot of movies and they play this sort of, you know, the tragic lover who goes on this story and has a downfall or, um, you know, in a lot of rom-coms. So um, they're, they're the kind of ones that spring to mind to me. Brilliant. Wow. What in, in terms of, brilliant. I'd love to move it on to the topic of men's circles. And Dave earlier mm. before, and we were just talking about it and he was kind of saying, well, like is men's circle kind of like the modern day version of where, like when we were younger, you go out with a load of lads and you get drunk and on the way home at two o'clock at the end of the night, you'd put your arm around someone and jeez, I love you. And you'd have a real heart heart honest conversation and where you'd you're ha- actually And you'd have it outside their house, leaning against the wall, kind of underneath the moonlight. And you, and you actually have a connected conversation, a real conversation. Yeah. And I wonder... Like is men's circles, is that the kind of, is that what you're creating? That kind of same safe space where men can open up to one another and connect in this more vulnerable, authentic way. Yeah, absolutely. That is 100% the purpose, the purpose of them. Um, and I think, you know, men's circles aren't new. They've been there for, for thousands of years, you know, for, for as long as, uh, men were on the planet, we would have got around a fire together. We would have shared things. We would have sat, uh, shoulder to shoulder with each other, um, but, you know, I think th- th- this this kind of uh, space now that's open is a non-judgmental space. It's fully confidential, uh, safe. So, you know, nobody's there to fix each other. It's just really about uh, witnessing each other, being being seen, being felt to be seen, being felt to be heard and finding that sort of uh, common humanity so that, you know, your suffering or whatever you bring to the circle is no different to somebody else's. So there's that kind of, uh, common sense of we're all in it together as a as a community as a tribe and i think nowadays with the you know, kind of fr- fracturing of society and this kind of individual mindset i think it's really damaging a lot of, a lot of people they feel alone in the world they feel lost and you know specifically in ireland we would have had a really really strong community um and and in the last number of years that's kind of been really really fractured so People are coming back to these spaces of coming together in, in a very simple way, you know, s- sitting down uh, listening to each other, taking responsibility for what they share, you know, um, and being seen and being heard. And that creates an instant depth of connection with other people. People go, well, you're, you're also going through that. Or I went through that a few years ago. And can I offer you some advice around it? Or this what happened for me? May I give you some insights? So there's this kind of really depth of vulnerability, honesty, openness, and sharing that occurs in them. And it kind of cuts right through uh, that would not like would normally take maybe 10 or 15 points for, for most men, you know, guys will feel a little bit anxious and a little bit nervous because, you know, the spotlight can be on you and it can be really hard to be seen uh, if you're not seen in your life. Uh, but it's a beautiful space for growth and for sharing and for connection. 
and kind of hard for men like even the idea of it I imagine when men first get there there's this sense of anxiousness like I gotta express vulnerability because you know so much of society the social programming is you know men gotta be real men at least traditionally that sense of you know don't show your emotions stiff upper lip stiff upper lip you know be courageous be the hero as opposed to be vulnerable and be brave enough to share your insecurities and it's through this we come together and we commune to be more better versions of ourselves Absolutely. And they're, they're potent kind of, uh, potent spaces for healing, um, and for releasing. And a lot, a lot of men who, who come for the first time will have that kind of, uh, tension or kind of the feeling of being bottled up. But that, that, a lot of that is down to, you know, societal conditioning, you know, big boys don't cry, man up. Um, you know, in Ireland, we're great for sweeping stuff under the rug, um, and avoiding, uh, avoiding, uh, responsibilities in life or how we feel are really having those open and honest communication. But the guys who come to these spaces are just so courageous. For me, it's modern courage. It's modern bravery to really face up to what's going on with your life and being able to, you know, learn to take life back by the reins again and go, right, I'm, I'm in control. Uh, this is what's going on for me. This is how I feel about it. And in that there's um, a, a real beauty where, where guys just move into this, into this softer space where they they share and open and I, i've seen people really really change uh, after being in the space uh, several times in, in how they articulate themselves based on how other men share and then they get the vocabulary um of, of how to articulate or how to communicate and then that that kind of filters into the rest of their life because once once you open up in vulnerability in these spaces then i feel that it, it just occurs in all relationships then you know it's it's kind of a a, uh, a very internal thing for most men, men who come to the space and then it, it, it really benefits on, on the external in the rest of their lives. And are there kind of general kind of common themes that come up or is it each group is different or they're general, you know, if you're to generalize issues, certain main. issues that, that modern men are struggling with that tend to come up time and time again. Like, for example, like as someone, if I tell anyone, you know, generally a group of people, I eat a vegan diet, the first question that comes it is, where do you get your protein? You know, and similarly, I'm sure in men's circle, there are a few stereotypical issues that tend to just pervade time and time again. Or is that, is there, is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the circles we do, we, we pick specific teams. Um, one of the really big ones uh, is always the, the relationship to the father. So our father Ooh. wound. So, you know, how, how, our, how our relationship to our father um, and non-relationship to our father, maybe in some guys' cases, that how that then manifests in our life of constantly getting uh, very similar patterns play out with other men in our lives so maybe a rejection uh, to authority maybe a distrust in men um, and then also your own patterns and own habits uh, in life you know some guys go like god i was out there the other day and i said something and then i felt like my father you know or i heard his words in my head or the exact words and you know, maybe they weren't uh, beneficial and some of them are beneficial. You know, a lot of guys have great relationships with, with their, with their fathers, but how as men, we model, when we grow, we model a lot of our behaviors, our outlooks, our values, our view of the world based on our parental figures. So if you didn't have a father, then you're, you, you, you don't have anything to really work off. And if you had a father who was absent, who wasn't there, who maybe um, had addiction issues, then that will kind of leak into the rest of your life in terms of your relationship to men. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of a really big one. 
And then, well, and then, can, can I ask something? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Unless you want, to, I, I was just no, going to say, just go further down the father bit. Okay. It, is it like, say, say, someone kind of expresses that? Does it kind of the group tend to come in and almost try to the group bring out this paternal energy to try to kind of you know almost offer a sense of holding that space and witnessing and allow it to unfold? Or what generally happens when someone expresses this kind of you know, lack of father presence or lack of role model or this type of thing. What, what happens in a group? I'm just curious and fascinated, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when most, most people share, you know, nobody jumps in. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a full space for people to really unpack uh, how it is for them. And then, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a domino effect. Someone in the circle might talk about their father and bring up others, other memories for somebody else. And they'll go through a process of talking about their father. So, there's kind of like this group, there's always a group energy where people will share on the same team. And then after there's always space to, to chat and share. But ultimately, you know, what a lot of men miss from their father is presence. It's it's presence and support. You know, the dad maybe is out working or unfortunately for some men, you know, the dad was at the pub a lot or was a, away from work. But, you know, what the men really offer then is the support and presence that the father never gave you growing up now. So there can be a lot of inner child work. So going back to that child uh, state uh, within the mind and uh, being the adult and almost going back to the child saying, you know, I'm here now, I'm present, I'm stable. It's uh, you're okay. Uh, you're here and you're supported. So there's been beautiful, beautiful changes in men uh, with regards to, to healing their father wound. Um, another big sticking point as well for guys is the, the brotherhood wound. So how men have hurt other men throughout their lives. So this is a really big one around, you know, men being bullied by other men growing up and uh, men being overly competitive with each other. Uh, and how this has ruined great friendships and, you know, men competing for, for women or roles or work. Uh, so, you know, the damage that men have done to other men is just as bad, I feel personally, as the damage that men have done to, to, to women. So, you know, uh, a lot of women um, are, are, are uh, dealing with a lot of traumas from men, but also men uh, hold, hold this wound and hold this suspicion against other men that they, you know, they're going to compete with them or, or, or take over what they're doing or, or, you know, compete for, for resources. But when we start to heal that brother wound, we can start to form really deep and healthy male connections. Yeah, that are based on trust. Uh, okay. I, I was going to kind of bring it in a slightly different direction. I was going to say that we found like, you know, We've been interested. In, we've been uh, like we started Happy Pear seventeen years ago, and it was all about like getting people to eat more fruit and veg. And we had gone from meat and two veg, pint swilling jocks, rugby playing, all male environments. And then suddenly, within a couple of years, we were vegan and we were swimming in the sea and we were doing yoga and we we're into meditation. And we didn't drink alcohol. And we didn't drink alcohol, so we were weirdos to our previous friends. But then I noticed with this new kind of like new version of ourselves, it was predominated that kind of that kind of um, genre of kind of like, which we were in, which was like, you know, healthy food and swimming in the sea and meditation and yoga and all this. It was mostly women. It was like 80 or 90% yeah. female because women kind of seem to be more interested in health and well-being and spirituality and the curiosities around that. And I've noticed that over the last number of years, there's been more and more men coming into, but mm -hmm. men typically are slower, possibly because of their fear of vulnerability or their fear of, I, I don't know, it typically, it's almost like, an awakening has happened within men, but it's slow. It's a lot slower than it is in women. Women are so much further ahead in terms of the opening, the, mm. the blossoming in a sense of into a better version of yourself. And, and this, obviously I'm being completely generalistic here, but as a, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I've been doing this work 
I started uh, with my best friend and business partner, Rob Coffey, uh, five years ago. And we just felt that there was no spaces for men to come and express and to be and to explore the things that people um, weren't really talking about in, in mainstream society. So, you know, a lot of the a lot of the early topics we were talking about was, you know, um, from plant medicine, psychedelics to uh, sexuality to intimacy to the relationship to the mother to the hero's journey the archetypes uh, we, were, we were really covering a, a really broad broad uh, base of subjects and it was amazing some of the first circles to really sit in a room with 30 guys because a lot of the work I'd done on myself and retreats I'd been to was me and like 30 women and <laughs> um, because they were there were so so much further ahead than, than men and I'm, I've really thought about it a lot and why why that is but I think you know how society and the patriarchy and and, and the, the structures of what we live in are have really really uh, disempowered women so much that they almost got to a point where they need to do something to change it where men can be just happy to go along with the status quo can you know go out uh, drink not feel that's fine uh, but now there's a really big uh, mental health crisis, I find, for, for men. And that's why so many men are starting to move into, in, into the space of meditation, breath work, shamanism, plant medicine, whatever it is, you know, uh, because we're really at, at a point where, you know, male suicide is at the highest it's ever been. And Ireland is one of the highest in, in Europe. So there's a crisis there. So, you know, people are, are on the edge that they need these spaces. They actually physically need them because of how their how their lives are, are are going so it's been really beautiful to see so many men uh you know step out of their comfort zone and into these spaces and it takes you know like i said great courage and and, uh, and dedication to own up <laughs> uh to, to look at oneself and i think the pandemic has been a really amazing thing in in a lot of regards um with regards to 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 men in these coming to these spaces because We've always almost been told, like, go sit in your room, think about your life <laughs> and, you know, don't see anybody. No distractions. I think guys are great at, at, at distracting ourselves. You know, we can do all the things and work harder and work more and throw ourselves into projects rather than just sitting, just being, just reflecting. Um, and I think that's more feminine where women are, are, are very good at just like being, reflecting, uh, you know, feeling their feelings and intuition where guys, we want to just keep going, <laughs> you know, don't stop you know, we'll, we'll think about it another day. It's, it's nearly like kind of like I was sitting there with my wife during lunch and she's a psychologist and she's doing a course in somatic experience at the moment. And mm. she was just talking about, okay, and I was just saying to her, so what's like a somatic experience? And she was just saying, it's your feeling like it's like, and, and she was just using the example that, you know, it's seldom that children are taught like, so when you say you feel anger, how do you feel anger? Is your blood boiling? Do you feel a sweat in your forehead? How do you feel anger? Because we tend to have these words, but we don't actually, there's this disconnection from our sense of our body and how we actually yeah. experience them. Like, how does anger feel to you? Like, how does mm. anxiety express? What's the difference between fear and anxiety? And how do we express it? Like, what what is it? Whereas it's kind of this disconnection of our feelings that's often such a huge part of it in terms of, at least in my male upbringing, I didn't, you know, I, I remember it was the first time going to the US and I was sitting in a workshop and I remember a girl talking about this word anxiety and I'd never heard it. And I actually mm. had to ask, what does anxiety mean? Because there was just the kind of emotional education wasn't there for me growing up. And I think I wonder, is this something that you see coming through in these men group that often there's a, a lack of emotional intelligence being taught or being kind of educated through 
their upbringing. Uh, maybe it's not even emotional intelligence. Maybe it's self awareness. Self awareness. Yeah. Self-awareness. Like it's awareness of where you know connection with your body and your own emotions. Because maybe we've just been human doings instead of feelings. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. What do you reckon? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that kind of ties into the culture that we have here in, in Ireland of kind of disembodied males. So, you know, we we're not in in, in touch with um, our gut, our intuition, our feelings. Our, we're not centered in the heart, you know, and in, in a lot of the yogic practices, you know, they talk about the, the chakras and, you know, you can take it or leave it if, if, if you're interested in. But there, there, there are these points that give us kind of a bit of a reference of, of, of the body and how how we feel and different feelings through them. Uh, and I think, you know with you know alcohol culture in ireland uh, alcohol suppresses the feelings so if the feelings are you know anger or rage or sadness or grief or pain it's easy to drink alcohol to suppress these feelings and disconnect us from our bodies um so once you kind of step out of that and start to feel the body you know there's going to be challenging uh, feelings and i think the the schooling system in ireland doesn't equip uh, young people with the with the tools and techniques to be able to process emotions and process feelings, particularly the, the, the harder ones, such as like grief or sadness or um, sorrow or abandonment or pain. And uh, I think, you know, I'd love to see more of that in schools, getting kids to really try and name their emotions. There's a beautiful emotions wheel out there where you have, you know, say sadness and then within sadness there's a pie off and there's, well, there's melancholy, there's sorrow, there's hopelessness, you know, there's all these like subsets of emotions within emotions and same with anger, right? So you're angry. Are you, are you in rage? Are you uh, fuming? Are you, uh, you know, there's all these like different different words with within that, and once we have an idea of okay, this is what I I feel, and then we can uh, kind of shift it, you know, shift those emotions because if we don't shift them, they stay in the body. And I firmly believe that trapped emotions in the body cause disease and discomfort, um, and and cause problems like they um, almost come out in unintentional ways or not at the right not at the right moment. And this is when we kind of lose ourselves in emotions, we lose ourselves in feelings. So, you know, having that awareness of I am not my feelings and you're kind of the witness to your feelings can give really great um, peace and tranquility when we have that kind of witness observer. And then we can deal with them. We can sit with them in a non-reactive way, allow them to pass and then not put them out into the world, specifically probably on our on our relate in our relationships or on our partners. Yeah, that word, the word disembodied is like a great word. It's nearly like you, at least when you say it, I think of um, what's the, the Scottish movie? Like dismember, disembodied. It's real, this kind of <laughs> raw type word. And, and like, I, I was listening to something earlier where you kind of described that you were in India at some point and you, it was, you saw, you, it was very easy. You were at something where there was dancing happening and it was very easy to spot the Irish and the English people because they were kind of quite detached from their body. They didn't know how to move their hips. They, you know, without the absence of alcohol, they didn't know how to dance, you know. And, and similarly, I can relate to that growing up. It was like, you didn't go dancing unless you had 10 points. And not even that, I, I think, like, like we're 40 one we're 42 next month and i remember growing up like i don't think i'd kissed like because you used to go to the disco to, to kiss a girl disco. to meet a disco to meet a girl like and and i think I, like unless i i had had a girlfriend like i didn't kiss a girl till i was sober till i was probably you know 19 or something like that wasn't mm. my girlfriend you know you go out to a nightclub and you'd be you know and that was just how it was until i kind of gave up drinking i was 21 because it was like i didn't think it was doing me any good um 
Yeah, but but I, I didn't know the question. I didn't know the question. So I was kind of wondering. So okay, so we've got all these issues with men nowadays, you know, and we're, they're coming to light, and we've got man circles. We all, as men, we as all as it. men, we have loads of issues. We really do, and and as humans, we generally do. But we're we're focusing more on the males here, and I'm I'm just wondering back to the roots of it, like because there's 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 role models, there's modeling from our parents, and I'm just and there's cultural issues. And I'm just wondering, like, where is the root of the these issues? Like, what are some of the roots? Like we talked about alcoholism and alcohol, you know, these male role models and alcoholism having a toxic effect you know excessive mm-hmm. alcohol is you know I, I imagine single sex schools mightn't help I imagine I imagine like religion and sexual repression via Catholicism hasn't helped I imagine there's, there's lots of other things like what are the other factors that are leading that are kind of inherently that we have as males and that we're trying to overcome yeah definitely I think it's a it's it's a really big uh, disempowerment of um, of our own masculinity. And I think, you know, phrases such as like toxic masculinity out there don't really help. It perpetuates the cycle of people feeling bad or feeling um, not, not you know, uh, worth something in the world. So there's a lot of, I like to maybe use the term uh, wounded masculine or unconscious masculine. So where have I been wounded? Where has unconscious patterns or habits played out in my life where um, they have affected my relationships or f- affected my work? Um, yeah, so yeah, some of the core ones I think are, you know, religion, Catholicism, especially for Irish people, you know, where we were shamed uh, to connect to our body and um, we were shamed to have sex outside marriage. So reclaiming our sexual power, we're, we're sexual and sensual beings um, and being in touch with our senses and pleasure and eroticism. I think there's a huge amount of power to be taken back from there. Uh, and that's been a big part of my journey and my personal development journey and spiritual journey is, you know, we can do all the, the, the work on the mind. We can do all the work in the spirit, but the body as well, the body loves to be touched. The body loves to be caressed, different types of touch, uh, different ways to be moved. So I think for, for men, um, yeah, getting, getting back in touch with, with our bodies as, as, uh, sexual, as sensual organisms of self-expression. Um, and I think, you know, if even if you go to other countries you, you you see how people dress you know this is a big thing on twitter recently about how uh people from other countries dress in like really different clothes and then when you dress uh maybe you wear like a red beret in, in ireland and someone will shout at you oh who's your man what look look at the state of him you know there's like a a a, a, a repression of, on our self-expression and um how, how we want to express our, ourselves in the world so I think the more that we can uh, express ourselves, the the better. And and on that topic, you, you kind of mentioned there about men and pleasure and kind of getting into our own sexuality and whatever. And I wonder that like, you know, we grew up and I remember we had one chat, like a mom and dad sat us down when we were 12. And I remember like, it was a very awkward kind of chat and me and Steve would have been giddy. It was the birds and the beats. We're going to sit down, lads. We're going to have the birds and the beads chat. And I remember dad kind of said, and it was the only thing that I remember, I'm sure they said lots of things, but the only thing I remember is always wear a hat when you're going swimming, lads. And that was, that was kind of, that was my takeaway from it. And there wasn't much conversation about it. And then obviously back when we were when we were kind of growing up to that age there was no internet so porn was wasn't a prevalent thing unless someone had a magazine that their older brother had given them and we all had to look at it and whatever but and i look nowadays and i kind of go okay for men who want to get interested more in their sensuality and get in touch with their body like the allure of porn and the pornification culture is is like at a juxtaposition to this because 
you know, if people are looking to that for education, that's not reality. That's not going to make you have connected, beautiful, you know, make love with your partner. That's going to make you want to perform. Yeah, want to, you know, that kind of a thing. Absolutely. That was the next kind of point I was going to bring up around yeah, how pornography has really destroyed a lot of men. And I see this in a lot of the men, men circles, men addicted to pornography, um, you know, uh, having problems around confidence, having problems around, you know, body dysmorphia. Uh, part of my journey. What's body dysmorphia? That's a, what does body yeah. dysmorphia mean? Sorry, excuse as me. In, you off. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say as part of my journey, I definitely grew up where I always wanted to be bigger. I wanted more muscle. I wanted to have a six pack. And, you know, the, the, the men that I was looking at were like unattainable, uh, you know, role, mo- role models for this, you know, guys whose whole life was around that or like res- re- restrictions. So when guys look at these other men, in, in 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 porn movies they they feel oh god my penis needs to be 10 inches long or i need a six pack or i need to go forever or i have to be able to like you know dominate in that sort of way and i think this ruins it for a lot of guys they feel that their body is inadequate they feel that you know they're uh how they show up in the world maybe if they're ho- holding a bit of fat or a bit of weight they'll feel that they need to have sex with the lights off and that this leads into erectile dysfunction for men you know having the pressures uh, that uh, pornography will put on you thinking you need to have it, you know, up all the time. This, this sort of stuff uh, can really is really plays a lot of damage to men. And then also uh, porn as like a sort of uh, self gratification, you know, using it as, as a release, as a, as a, as a, a, a form of, um, you know, uh, pleasure or, or worthiness in the world can really, really damage guys. I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we talked about that in the last we, we interviewed a, a lady who was a psychologist about it all. And she was talking about some people, the addictiveness of porn nowadays that it can they can get so addictive that, you know, the dopamine hit, they can get it so quick from porn, you know, the immediate release that they prefer that. And they've no interest in sex then, because with the real person, there's so much more anxiety and tension and pressures. Whereas you can just get what you want and. And it's, and it's draining guys' bank accounts as well, you know, people paying for subscriptions and OnlyFans and getting sucked into all these these terrible ecosystems, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely leaving a lot of guys uh, with empty pockets. Yeah, yeah. So so for any any man or any person listening that kind of wants to start stepping more back into this, like I always admired that sense of, you know, the sense of the gentleman, the sense of a man who was, you know, kind, courageous, could stand up for, you know, put boundaries when required. Which is less which is less the warrior archetype and probably more one of the, the other lover, possibly. So the lover or the magician or one of the ones which are less heroized and more they're in the background, they're less ego and they're more possibly in their, like the, the male and female, it's very hard to distinguish which is what, but more in the, the more characteristic of Sean, the feminine. B- beforehand, Shawnee said that, or he kind of gave the idea that in North America, in North American Indian traditional culture, there were four genders. There was the male, the male, male, there was the male, female, there was the female, male and the female, female. I think I'm, did I get that right, Sean? Oh, interesting. Masculine, male, sorry. Masculine, male, masculine, masculine female, female, male. Feminine male and feminine female. Ah, oh, you kind of got it right. I kind of get butchered. the idea. But anyway, anyway, moving on. Yeah, so. and like you, you, you mentioned kind of boundaries there. And I think, you know, the, the warrior archetype has really strong and good boundaries. But for me, I think what we really need in this country is more information around consent and boundaries and how to communicate in that kind of sexual space, being able to articulate your needs, your desires, your wants, 
um, you have to be able to say like, I would like you to touch me in this way with this pressure for this long. And also being able to ask your partner is, is it okay if I touch you in this way? And Betty Martin has this amazing wheel of consent. So you know what space you're in. Are you giving? Are you taking? Are you being you know submissive? Are you being dominant? And this can really help to have um, a healthier space within relationships. When we start to open the dialogue, open the conversation, it can be a little bit uncomfortable at first because we're not taught it, but there's beautiful games and there's beautiful practices that, you know, uh, we can use and a lot of my work with 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 guys and with women is around intimacy so learning to become really intimate with yourself first okay how do i uh, like to express myself how do i like to be touched how do i like to touch so knowing if you're taking or if you're giving or if you're you know receiving um can make a really 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 big difference to that area of your life so there's you know simple practices the three minute game uh, eye gazing uh, breathing together you know some of the kind of neo-tantric practices that uh, really help about cultivating, you know, presence and awareness within that. And I, I feel that pornography has really disempowered a lot of a lot of men and, and and women too, because it's taken away the kind of the ceremony and the ritual and the sacredness that 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 sex is and cultivating sexual energy with somebody. For for any man listening or any kind of person that's kind of interested in trying to you know connect into this more gentle or more sensible or more kind of magician or romantic uh, archetype that we spoke about there lover yeah lover some top tips like I'll, I'll mention a few and then you know like the sense of connecting him with your body so it might be dance it might be play it put, could be playing sport and finding that sense of connecting him with your body and even finding that sense of pleasure uh, you spoke about kind of intimacy that sense of could be breath work it could be um, something that brings that sense of presence are there a- any other for any kind of man listening that kind of kind of goes yeah this all sounds cool how do I how do I cultivate more this sense of you know finding this better version of masculinity that they want that someone might want to express yeah absolutely it's a great question i think for, for men what's so un- underrated is uh silence and stillness so you know for a long time men would have gone off to the mountain or gone off to the forest or the cave and been by themselves and really get intimate with their own mind i feel like in modern society there's so many distractions you know we have our phone with us all the time we can get very easily lost in in scrolling so having time and space for you by yourself and really sitting with your feelings, sitting with your own mind, sitting with any uncomfortableness. Uh, that's, that's, that's the starting point for me on, on this kind of uh, personal and spiritual journey is uh, silence of space of, um, you know, really coming to get to know your own self-talk and how you're, how you're talking to yourself and the language you're using, the words you're saying. And uh, so th- that, that's definitely a, a first the first part, uh, the second part, I think, is uh, self-expression and cr- creativity. So tapping into things that make you feel creative. So it could be painting, could be drawing. For me, it's dance. I love to dance and, and dance uh, very freely, a static dance. And um, any kind of open movement is, 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 is really, really wonderful and beautiful. And then the third is, you know, communication. Finding somebody who you can have these open, honest communi- conversations with and be able to communicate your needs and your wants and your desires and, you know, just pra- practice that with, with people, it may, even not in a, in, a, in a sexual way, but it starts to give you the vocabulary and the confidence and the charisma to be able to then translate that into, into your, your romantic uh, relationships. That's a nice word you use there, prisma. Beautiful one. I haven't heard that one. 
Well done, Dr. Derek. Great job. Uh, I, I was thinking there, well, no, this isn't a question. This is just like pondering and having a chat, really. But I was thinking there that like more of them, like our female friends will say to me, do you know any lads like I'm sick of dating man children? Or, I'm, you know, they'll say it. They'll, they'll be like mature women that are really like, and, and I say that with respect, not that they're old, like regardless of their age, they're just, they're very open and vulnerable and they're lovely humans. And they'll kind of say, do you know any lads that are like grown-ups, that they're not like just man kids that are just looking to have sex? Like, and I'll kind of go, geez, yeah, like I, I know lots of nice lads, but they're kind of tend to be in relationships or whatever. And I'm wondering like, how do we as men mature like and like beyond that kind of sense of seeing a relationship as just an outlet for sex as opposed to seeing it as that ability to get intimate to express our vulnerability to connect and show that rawness of ourselves oh well absolutely and a lot kind of comes up to me there there's first of all there's the the kind of it's not quite an archetype but i think it probably is the irish mammy <laughs> and how men in this country are mammied a little bit a little bit too much you know and then they look for that kind of mother energy outside of themselves uh, in uh, well outside of their mother in other relationships you know they'll, they'll look look for their 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 mother in other women so that they'll be taken care of and you know someone has taken responsibility for them but for me it really comes down to and um, robert bly talks a lot about this he, he did a lot of men's work in the 80s in the mythopedic men's movement when men's cir- circle started and there's a book called iron john so this talks about the wild a friends man. reading that at the moment and loves it a friend oh yeah really amazing yeah Yeah, so the wild the wild man you know and we all have the wild man within us and and if we don't connect to our wild man we'll always stay as as the boy or the child so you know we have to go on this journey of stuff like exploration to connect to our wild man and to connect to our our authenticity as as men in the world and whatever that looks like for you but to cut a long story short, the the kind of tale talks about this this wild man that's caged up, and there's a, a there's a, a there's a boy looking at the the wild man caged up, and he's big and he's hairy and he's he's a, like a, a giant and mucky and all sorts, and he's in this cage, and the 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 key to the cage is underneath the boy's uh, mother's pillow, so the the mother has the wild man locked up. Um, and the, she has the key, so the wild man can't get out because of the mother. And this kind of really ties into um, rites of passage. So we did a retreat here uh, in, in Sligo last year. Thirty men came together to initiate themselves into manhood, and they initiate them. They initiated themselves into manhood. So it's about reclaiming that power. So in society, we would have had these seminal points in our lives where we would have gone off on a vision quest, gone off on some sort of um sort of journey of self-discovery we would have had this call sort of like the hero's journey you get this call to adventure and we go off and then we we slay these mythical beasts and then come back to our come back to our tribe and our community with with wisdom and knowledge it's kind of the, it's the archetypal story and you know the lord of the rings and star wars and harry the Potter, rite of passage it, 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 yeah yeah so the the rites of passage if you look to other uh, cultures you know uh, across the world they still some of these indigenous cultures who haven't been so afflicted by modern society they they still hold a lot of the rites of passage so that you know the men would take the young boys out of the village from the mothers and they'd bring them off on a journey to uh, you know uh, do some trials and tribulations where there would be lessons learned where there would be growth so bringing the men into this what's called as a liminal space so it's a space in between uh, boyhood and, and and manhood and within this liminal space there, there's trials and tribulations um, and there's demons and dragons to face and once we face them then 
we can come out of this liminal space and we're almost uh, born anew in, in, in a newer version of ourselves. So it's kind of like closing one chapter and opening another chapter. Now, I find in my work, because we don't have so many of these rites of passage anymore in modern society, that boy, that men are just left in this liminal space or they're still in this boy mentality. And we don't have the elders and the wisdom keepers to help guide us and support us in the transition from boyhood to manhood. So I feel that, you know, that's ultimately a it's, it's a disempowerment of, of men. And I, I, I really feel that a lot of the growth that guys are going to have in the next few years is going on these vision quests, rites of passage, you know, and people are turning to, you know, some very extreme things such as, you know, plant medicine or extreme fasting or, you know, psychedelics or uh, even a rite of passage of just totally getting out of your country, just leaving everybody behind because you feel like you don't fit in. You feel like nobody understands you leaving and trying to find a, a tribe or community in another country. You're like taking yourself totally out of the, out of the, out of the, the, the environment and some of the, some of those guys never come back because they just can't face the culture or their old friend groups and um, but for me it's really about integrating this stuff we can do all this huge big work but if some and cultivate positive behavioral change or patterns then we it's it's all, it's all for nothing so we can have these big experiences but we need to be able to cultivate it into the day-to-day -day so that we're living a more happy purposeful and fulfilled life yeah, when I think of rites of passage, I, like in modern day rites of passage for men, I think of like their school, uh, their po their sixth sixth year school holiday where they go to Tenerife and they go and get drunk for a week. Or I think of the 21st where they go and get drunk in a party and those are the only rites of passage. But I was just going to tell a little story in that. It was more, it was a friend of ours. He was getting married and he's into ecstatic fans, Dave Mooney, super, super lovely guy. And I remember it was before he was getting married and he he was having a stag. And we tended to avoid all stags because we didn't, we even drank for nearly 20 years. And I remember like stag, the quintessential Irish stag was lads going, get, going on the lock and, you know, the poor mm. old groom gets tied to a pole and his eyebrows get shaved off or whatever, you know, that kind of a, a mindset around a stag. Whereas this, this stag, which we were invited to, it was going to be a, um, a sweat lodge. And David invited nice. people from, he, he had his, his, his men, older men that were in his life. He had like co younger cousins and then there was his peers and his friends. And there was about 20 of us together and they'd built I, this. I, I remember beforehand feeling like, oh, geez, I don't yeah. know if I want to do this. I remember thinking it was a bit woo-woo. Oh, geez, what are we going to be doing? And then we went along anyway. And I, I know you've done sweat lodges, but there was, there was all the rocks mm -hmm. in the middle and there was this kind of wooden structure built with loads of blankets over it. And we all got into this dark, like super hot, like a sauna. And we all gave Dave, like there was, there was a kind of element of a ceremony to it where we were, the older men were giving Dave tips of like, of mm -hmm. relationships and marriage. And it, it was very much a rite of passage going from, you know, moving into becoming a married man, what it means, what it stands for and all this type of thing. And it was beautiful. It was, it was such yeah. a beautiful ceremony. And I remember going, oh my God, that's like, that is what a stag really needs to be because it's, it's, it's really there was marks an occasion. And there was a sense of wisdom and a sense of kind of, I'm moving into this space and I want all you people that I respect and I admire to witness me and to kind of give me your wisdom and give me your blessing and I need your support and that I can turn to you when I'm struggling. And it was really explicit in that regard. And you kind of felt like, Dave, I got you back if you're struggling in your marriage, you know, that type of thing. It was really Absolutely. beautiful. And I just thought that was yeah. a beautiful example of a rite of passage. And, and that's what a lot of the men's circles uh, kind of sound like, you know, all guys coming together and marking these moments in time with, you know, ceremony and ritual and, 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 and sharing our wisdom and knowledge. Um, 
And I think this is really where Catholicism has failed in this country because they've they they have their their rites of passage, but uh, they've kind of capitalized on them. You know, we have confirmation communion. These can kind of be seen as rites of passage, but I think the original essence in those sort of um, celebrations or ceremonies has been um, ultimately tainted. You know, so uh, I, I really feel that we, as as men and women as well, we need to kind of take back the power in terms of our rites of passage and passing on the wisdom from our elders to 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 the younger generations you know and even a, a beautiful rite of passage that one of the 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 men was talking at, at last week's um uh, retreat was about bringing their you know bringing their their son out to light their first fire in the woods and how that is a right almost like a rite of passage into you know the natural world and the elements and i thought that was you know very very beautiful Wow, that's a nice that's, one. That, like that's that, a really nice one. So, like, when I think of how do we how do we cultivate a more you know compassionate, kinder, caring man, and that's ultimately what we're talking about here. Like, I think it's kind of moving away from the kind of practices of men just going getting drunk and kind of like being slightly abusive to one another, and kind of going, okay, how can we cultivate other as as a as a gender or as a masculine, how we can kind of cultivate activities which encourage more openness and more vulnerability and more acceptance. And I think it's kind of more the softer side of things and less, none is, I guess it's less about the thing and more the mindset that we go into. Yeah, and it's kind of moving from competition to cooperation almost, that sense of like, we're together, we're all in this together, as opposed to, I'm going to beat you. Yeah. You know, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk to you briefly about Dara. You have a PhD in plant medicines. No, no, no it's plant genetics. Plant genetics, plant genetics. Yeah. And somehow you found your way into running retreats that are based on psychedelics. And psychedelics, mm-hmm. like such as magic mushrooms, this, uh, as far as I'm aware, they'll give the ability to see yourself from a different perspective. And it's only in, there's a bit of a psychedelic renaissance happening at the moment. I saw the FDA give approval for the first time in, I believe it was 50 years to do actual studies mm-hmm. on the impact of psychedelics in terms of mental health. And I saw similarly in Australia and that there's almost this kind of, you know, starting mainstream society or mainstream science that they're actually starting to kind of explore the beneficial aspect of psychedelic substances to kind of alleviate symptoms of depression and opportunities to see uh, beyond ourselves. Um, Wonder, can you tell us about psychedelics and your journey with it all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's a whole nother part of, of my life. I feel like a lot of my life is men's work and then I also... Uh, work very intimately with with psychedelics. So, uh, co-founded a, a company three years ago in Rebound, and we run legal um, psilocybin retreats in the Netherlands. So we use uh, psychedelic uh, truffles, uh, which are you know part of uh, uh, similar to mushrooms. Um, and this is th- these are really potent catalysts for 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 healing. So they they allow people to unlock parts of their subconscious mind, to work through uh, patterns, habits. Uh, even traumas can, can can surface up, um, and my my own journey with it was that um, you know in, in my early twenties I suffered from depression uh, and anxiety, and I went on a course like a course of trying to heal myself, and quickly found the the power and and potency of of psychedelic uh, mushrooms. You know, in Ireland this time of the year they grow all in in the hills, so we're very for- fortunate. I see them as our own indigenous plant medicine. Uh, Irish people would have used them for generations in, in healing, but uh, a lot of that wisdom has been lost due to colonization of Ireland um, and the, the you know the uh, oppression that we we face as a as a culture. 
Uh, but there's this real renaissance at the moment. And, you know, as a scientist, I was able to really look a lot at the scientific data and see, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, there was research being carried out for people with PTSD, uh, with, uh, you know, people had psychosis, bipolar disorder, all of these mental health issues. And then it was all shut down. Uh, the war on drugs started, the whole stigma that drugs were, were, were bad. Um, and this was really tied into the, cult the counterculture at the time, the hippie movement. Uh, people were dropping out of college, university, um, and uh, dropping out of the system. So they didn't they didn't like that in the state in the United States because of uh, they didn't have enough people for the draft then to go to the Vietnam War or people were dropping out of their jobs. So all psychedelics were banned back then, unfortunately, and seen as having no scientific or no medical value. But now, you know, the research is there. It stands for itself. People are getting, uh, you know, just one one dose of psilocybin can help people reduce people's depression by up to 70 percent. Uh, the, the studies out at Imperial College London, John Hopkins University in the United States uh, are really, really showing how, how beneficial these are for, for people. And if taken in the right set and setting, so the, the, the correct space and going in with the correct tools, mental headspace and the mental tools and the right uh, support and care. Alex aren't for everybody. Um, you know, some people uh, shouldn't take them or shouldn't use them. Uh, but for the people that are good candidates to work with them, uh, they're finding huge relief uh, in terms of uh, how, they are in, how they are in the world. So it's a really exciting time. Tala Hospital, they're doing psilocybin trials. So even in very own, our very own conservative Ireland, and from what I've heard, the, the trials are going extremely well. People with treatment-resistant depression. So people who've been on SSRIs, antidepressants for a number of years and nothing's really worked for them. Uh, psilocybin um, is really helping those people because what I find with, in my work with psychedelics is they, they, they allow us to go really deep to the roots, root causes of our suffering and allow us to process unprocessed emotions or feelings or memories where if somebody takes SSRIs or antidepressants, it's like a Band-Aid. You're able to function. You're able to go to work. You're able to get on. You're kind of level. Um, and this creates a numbing. Uh, now, SSRIs are amazing for a lot of people, and they work really well. But for some people, they just don't work. Uh, they keep people in this kind of numb feeling state where psychedelics really amplify your feelings. So it, it, it cause, causes catharsis for people. So this kind of Greek word of uh, release. So people have these huge emotional releases um, of crying, grief, sadness, laughter from the body. And that helps people to almost reset. It, it really does. It, it's like a giant reset button for people. So it, it's, it's really beautiful work. And, um, you know, I really encourage if people are going to try psychedelics to do it in a very safe, held and contained manner. And when you say safe space, is that kind of where someone, there's the sense of intention behind it because someone could take psychedelics and they're at a festival and it's just a sense of, yeah, let's go get lost in terms of our relationship to ourselves. Whereas, are you referring to the sense of taking psychedelics in a safe space where there's a sense of intention? I'm taking this, you know, to kind of, you and know, explore pardon. deeper inside myself and to kind of, that there's this sense of a safe space as a group to do that. That this, is, is that kind of what you're referring to? And also yeah, absolutely. safe in terms of like, you don't go jumping off a building or that kind of stuff as well, I'd say. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, you know, the safe space is, you know, with, with people who are trained in it, who have, have experience, uh, who are used to working with altered states of consciousness. And then, yeah, also your basic primary needs being taken care of, you know, water, going to the bathroom, making sure you're physically safe, but then also psychologically safe that if you do have a, a, 
a negative reaction that there's somebody there to ground you to stabilize you to to help you come back to your body to help you connect back to yourself you know connect back to your breath become present again so yeah it, it, it's important to have the intention as well but when it's in in a in a setting with somebody experienced they can really act as an anchor for you so that you know no matter how far out you go you always can open your eyes and somebody's there giving you the thumbs up saying you're okay you're you're physically okay and that the person can go go, go deep inward and also with challenging emotions if if we're, we're dealing with challenging emotions and psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers of your conscious state so whatever is going on for you deep down is going to be amplified so if you're feeling a little bit of grief you're going to really feel the grief and it's going to come up to the surface for you to process and having having somebody there who's present who's giving you compassion kindness and support and making you feel like held can make all the difference for you to be able to go into those uh, heavy and intense feelings to then process it, process them and, and release them from from the body yeah wow did you notice did you have you seen the netflix documentary fantastic fungi because it's such I, I imagine you know documentaries like that have put it out in the zeitgeist and it seems like it's a lot more pervasive and a lot more curiosity a lot more sense of they've gone from being this kind of weird obscure kind of thing that only a select few people to do to suddenly they're becoming a lot more mainstream well, well, even i was just thinking there that when we were growing up in school like i remember you'd hear about you know, mushrooms and then you hear about, you know, ketamine or you hear about DMT and these type of things or even in college. And now you hear about in medical trials, they're all trialing these type of drugs in medical environments, you know, controlled, you know, approved medical trials. And they're finding them very effective in certain dosages to help with certain diseases. And it's incredible to turn around in terms of something that was labeled as, as you said, the war on drugs. And now these the same substances in different environments are proving to be very effective at heal, healing different people. So do you you notice a huge amount of different people starting to kind of show an interest in this, that it's suddenly over the last few years, there's been just a huge upsurge. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the stigma around psychedelics has started to reduce a lot based on, you know, clinical trials and, and the media, you know, they, they ultimately uh, shape culture and societal perception of these things. So, you know, on our retreats, we have, you know, the oldest person was 89 years years old who came on a retreat. We have people from all around the world, you know, so people who have tried everything their whole life and nothing's worked will will try anything to get a sense of uh, wellness, you know, or or becoming healthy. How'd it go with the 89-year-old? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Like profound, uh, profound realizations, shifts uh, from the body, you know, coming to terms with, uh, you know, past relationships, being able to, uh, you know, find closure. A lot of people find closure from old relationships or decide what they need to do or live life more fully again or have a lot of gratitude. Uh, so there's there's a range of experiences within the psychedelic space from healing, uh, from spiritual, mystical experiences. So connecting to a God or a, a oneness or or a higher power. And then there's also the personal development aspect, you know, working on habits or working on, uh, you know, creativity or productivity or patterns. Uh, and then there's, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a deep healing as well that can, that can, uh, that can occur in, in, in that space. Yeah. You, you hear of people nowadays, uh, micro dosing of psilocybin or mushrooms or something like this 
that it, it supposedly the belief is that it creates neural pathways, different neural pathways, a different way to look at a world. And when you take them at small doses, it can, you know, expand your creativity and, you know, all that type of stuff. So you hear of people in Silicon Valley rumored to be trying this type of thing anyway. Absolutely. And um, one thing that I've really seen and I, or what I really find amazing from when people try psychedelics is a lot of them end up turning vegetarian or vegan because they realize, you know, the food that they're putting into their body isn't so healthy. And then they also have this kind of compassion for the natural world and a connection to animals and, you know, uh, climate change and how the world's being destroyed. So I see a lot of people shift from uh, meat eaters to uh, vegetarians and all our retreats, we have amazing professional vegetarian chefs. So that could also uh, contribute to it, you know, showing people another way of, 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 of eating and prepping food. And that's the great work that you guys uh, put out in the world. That's great, pretty great. cool. On, Sun, on Sunday, we're actually going on a retreat with a lady. She's a Wicklow lady. And it's a retreat. It's a kind of learning about the folklore and the mysticism around fly agaric, you know, the traditional red mm. and white mushroom. And I guess the idea behind this mushroom is that it can do three things. It can serve as food. It can be a psychedelic and it can kill you. And I guess there's meant to be all sorts of folklore and all sorts of things about it. So it's like just a, a We're just going learning about it. But it but, sounds very interesting. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this, cool. this, this mushroom is very intimately tied in with, with Santa Claus. And yeah. it's thought that Santa Claus was actually a Siberian shaman who was using these mushrooms uh, for, for healing and divination. And the the way to get rid of the toxins in these mushrooms is if you, you know, prepare them in a special way or if you feed them to reindeer and then drink the, the reindeer's urine, uh, this allows the hallucinogenic effect. So, you know, these mushrooms are red, Rudolph's red nose, the Siberian shamans, they wore... Uh, red clothes and they collected these uh, red mushrooms and hung them up on the trees to to dry <laughs> inside so that's kind of modern mid of the christmas tree and you know if, if if you probably take enough of these you might think that you're flying off on a reindeer so this is where like, people think it sounds plausible sounds like a possibility sounds very good uh Dara, it's been wonderful to chat to you for anyone listening who wants to kind of learn more about your men's workshop and your inward bound retreats and um, where can they i'm sure if they look on this thing called the interweb i'm sure they can find you but is there anywhere specifically yeah so yeah connect with me through instagram at uh dara stewie d-a-r-s-t-e-w-y or my personal websites innerwork.ie or inwardbound.ie uh, run lots of retreats here in Ireland, non-psychedelics, so men's retreats, women's retreats, connection retreats. And then if people want to be brave enough and come to the Netherlands uh, for the, the group retreats with psilocybin, they'll be starting back again uh, next year. So uh, don't feel free to connect with me whenever. Brilliant. Great job, Brilliant. Dar. Well done with all you're doing. You're doing a great job. And, and thanks, Mel. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thanks, guys. It's been an honour. <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was really nice to explore that topic of masculinity and to kind of just explore it and even to understand more about psychedelics. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it really was. If we dominated too much, apologies about that. Um, no, that was great. I really, really enjoyed it. He's. I'm very look forward to hanging out with him in person. And I think the topic of masculinity and how we can be, and I guess it's less gender specific, how we can become better, more open, compassionate humans in general. And I guess today's team was on the male and the masculine and all those roles very interesting I hope you got something out of it uh, once again thanks for your attention thanks for listening um, this is a podcast as part of our sex series so if you haven't listened to them do check it out sex and relationships uh, big shout out to the great Shawnee Cahill and the wonderful Queen of Media production our third twin Sarah Fawcett uh, hope you enjoyed it and uh, yeah hopefully we hear you again next week lots of love bye 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 b